You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. There are growing concerns tonight about the wildfire season in this province and if what we're experiencing right now will in fact be the new normal for BC. Take a look at the Hicks Mountain fire burning right now near Highway 3 between Agassiz and Hope. It's threatening the high voltage power lines that supply electricity to Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley. It's also forcing some major traffic delays in the area. Now, the Premier and the Federal Defence Minister got a look at wildfire-stricken central B.C. today, expressing their concern there as well. But as Richard Zussman tells us, they also took some heat. With fires burning across the province, Premier John Horgan entered the fire zone today, getting a briefing on the ongoing firefight. Uh, we are far from out of the woods. People need to be mindful of uh, their actions and activities. There's a strong sense in central B.C. the government didn't step in early enough or do enough to prepare for the fire season. The message I think all of us want to give is that uh, we need to make sure that our communications lines stay open. Everyone is working as diligently as they can. Carmen Nutter came to meet Horgan and Prince George. She's evacuated from her home, her father's home destroyed by the fire from Nadina Lake. She told him more is needed. Changing policy to things that they can do preventative moving forward to protect all of our communities in BC when these wildfires continue to burn. These are some of the latest pictures of fires raging across the province. The Nadina Lake fire causing an evacuation order south of Burns Lake. People near Francois Lake also on evacuation order, not willing to leave their homes as they battle the flames. In the interior, the Dark Creek fire continues to burn near Summerland. The tour was also supposed to go to Burns Lake, but because of heavy smoke in the area, this plane couldn't land, instead touching down here in Nanaimo. In Nanaimo, Horgan debriefed Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on the ongoing fire situation. Ottawa announcing a cabinet committee to deal directly with fighting the fires. And this will help us as a federal government provide and coordinate uh, the, uh, the resources uh, and support as a, uh, from all departments to the provincial government. But for those fearful their homes may be lost, those resources can't come soon enough. Richard Zussman, Global News, Prince George. And Keith Baldry joins us now with more on that meeting between the Premier and the Prime Minister. And Keith, wildfires are obviously top of mind for both. Uh, top of mind for both, by, by no means the only topic for up for discussion, Chris. It's becoming clear that uh, John Horgan and Justin Trudeau have a fairly good working relationship. They seem to enjoy each other's company. Uh, to, uh, just moments ago, emerging at a photo op, the, the Prime Minister outlining other issues he wants to talk about, and John Horgan talking about this is potentially a historic moment to have the federal cabinet here. Uh, lots of other conversations to have about uh, uh, how we're coordinating on things like infrastructure and housing. Uh, we're going to talk uh, about uh, something that is uh, near and dear to both of us, uh, the issue of salmon. And, and as a born and raised Vancouver Islander, I was racking my brain trying to think of the last time a federal cabinet would have come to hold a meeting here, and I can't remember it ever happening. So it's a delight to have the Prime Minister and his team here. 
Not only that, I can't remember the last time a B.C. premier actually spoke to a, a collective uh, gathering of the federal cabinet. But that's what's going to happen tomorrow morning. John Horgan will address the federal liberal government cabinet. Uh, they've got a couple days of meetings, the liberals do. And then uh, Prime Minister is going to remain in B.C. on Thursday. He's going to be heading up to the wildfire situation. We'll see if his plane can get through to some of those hotter spots that uh, are bedeviling the province uh, throughout the north. Chris? All right, Keith, thanks very much for that. And some breaking news in Surrey for you right now, where multiple fire crews are battling a large brush fire. Here's a look at the scene just a short time ago. The fire sparking up south of Highway 10 and 192nd. Multiple alarms have been called, and we're told at least 12 crews have been dispatched from both Surrey and Langley. We'll keep an eye on that one for you, and if there is an update, we'll bring it to you before the news hour ends. Now. Back to Burns Lake for a second, and one man's personal connection to that community has prompted him to collect donations to help evacuees and firefighters. The wildfires hit close to home for Dave Cauley. He has a lot of friends helping him try to fill a semi with donations to help his former hometown. He put out the call on social media, and he's already seeing a good turnout, but more items are needed. Some camping supplies, you know, hygiene products, uh, feminine products, um, water pumps, uh, hoses, so that they can use it to help uh, protect their property. And then I'm also looking for um, blankets, um, animal f uh, pet food. Um, we're also looking for uh, food for the farm animals as well. And you still have a chance to give. He's set up behind the Chilliwack Canadian Tire at Vetter Road and night until tomorrow afternoon if you can swing by yeah, with some more ahead. supplies. That's great. Now a tearful plea for information from the mother of a 19-year-old man found murdered in a back alley. The body of Tanner Krupa found one year ago today in Surrey. Grace Key explains what we know about Krupa's murder and how new surveillance video could help lead to an arrest. Newly released surveillance video could help solve a young man's murder. It was taken shortly after 19-year-old Tanner Krupa was killed in a Surrey alley one year ago today. In a video statement, his mother made a plea to help solve his murder. It has been a year since Tanner's been gone and we have no answers yet and are grieving without any closure at all. At this time, we would like to request that anyone have any information at all about Tanner's death to please, please contact the IHIT team. On August 20th, just after 5 in the morning, police got a report of an altercation in the 6900 block of 127A Avenue. Police believe Tanner got into some type of argument with a group of men who are connected with a white Toyota Corolla and a white Honda Civic captured on video surveillance, similar to these vehicles. We know there's a group of males that was involved, and from that group, we know that there were some that didn't actually participate physically. And this must be, this must weigh heavily on their conscience. So I'm speaking actually directly to them today. If you have information, and we know that you do, help us make things right. Tanner had just moved to the area from Edmonton and was working as a directional driller. He had no criminal record. Tanner's mother said he enjoyed playing hockey, had a passion for bodybuilding, and was going to attend university. There are very few people who come into this world for an eternally short period of time, yet manage to leave behind the greatest impact as he did. Police have made no arrests in this case and a motive is still unclear. Grace Key, Global News. 
A former Vancouver police detective has been sentenced to jail time. James Fisher has been handed 20 months in jail and two years probation for breach of trust and sexual exploitation. Fisher kissed two young women who had been witnesses in a criminal case. Before he was arrested and forced into retirement, he served 29 years on the force and served as a member of the counter-exploitation team that investigates prostitution. Well, it's a lofty goal, the federal government rolling out its ambitious poverty reduction strategy today, lifting 2 million Canadians out of poverty by 2030. Nadia Stewart explains how the Liberals say it's possible, even with no new policy or spending. Staff at Craft Work Society are some of Vancouver's most vulnerable. People with disabilities living above the poverty line thanks to the opportunity to earn a modest hourly wage. It's no surprise the federal government chose the small textile factory to unveil its national poverty reduction strategy. It is our strategy for making sure that wherever you live or wherever you come from, you have a real and fair chance at success. Duclos says they've been working on it since taking office in 2015. Back then, one out of every eight Canadians was living below the poverty line. The goal now is to reduce poverty by 20% by 2020 and 50% by 2030 of the 2015 level. These are ambitious targets. I think we can, by working together, achieve them. What's more, Duclos says they want to reduce chronic homelessness by 50%. And all drinking water advisories on public system reserves by March 2021 and reduce or eliminate housing needs for 530,000 households. But no new money or policy was included in Tuesday's announcement. Critics say it's simply not good enough. During their time, their brief time in office, we've seen cost of living continue to increase and homelessness continue to skyrocket and the federal government doing nothing meaningful to address these things. There are also concerns the strategy does not go far enough to help families, especially single parents, get out of poverty by way of affordable, accessible childcare. We're glad that BC is receiving $51 million a year for childcare, but that's not nearly enough for the benefit the federal government receives when more women are able to work and pay taxes federally. There will be a National Advisory Council on Poverty tracking the new strategy's progress though they likely won't be the only ones keeping an eye on that. That is your Global News. Daycare operators are sounding the alarm about staffing challenges. Despite ongoing demand for spaces, a lack of workers means some businesses are being forced to shut down. Kylie Stanton explains why at least one operator blames the government's new system of grants for making the problem worse. Where we are right now used to be our infant toddler playground. At any given time, 12 children aged 0 to 3 once filled this space that now sits empty. Closed it due to lack of staff. For Lucy Ann Smith, it's a trend that's become all too common here at Happy Campers Child Care and throughout the Greater Victoria area. She estimates so far this year, 150 spaces have been eliminated. I have never seen this much of a staffing crisis. It's what's behind the closure of her Otter Point location just last month, after being unable to replace two of the educators going on maternity leave. Of the 12 infant-toddler spaces there, some got lucky. But some of those families were left scrambling. And with nowhere to go, they're being forced to get creative. A lot of people are really struggling to, to find spots, and we do swaps with our friends of playdates, of having kids over. Whee! 
This, despite the provincial government's promise to create 22,000 new licensed childcare spaces and train 2,300 new early childhood educators over the next three years. There's a lot to learn to build a system, and we are engaging with providers and parents all the time to make sure that we can, down the road, make sure parents can have access to quality, affordable childcare services. The funding incentives that have already come through have been welcome relief for families, but for operators, navigating the process is only making matters worse. Happy Campers has cut its part-time program simply to cut back on the paperwork involved. It cuts out of my time and everyone else in the office too. Now the priority is keeping people in the office. Operators warn the government's efforts could all be for nothing if there's no one around to run these centres. It's one of the best jobs in the world but it can be very difficult. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. A focus on some amazing acrobatics in Squamish over the weekend. Six trained cliff divers doing flips off a waterfall into the rushing water below. Video of their stunt was posted online and it clearly states these are professionals and to not attempt the trick. But as Ted Chernecki reports, some are concerned it still sends the wrong message. Down a dusty forest service road, there is a bridge that's popular with divers, despite the warning signs about some of the dangers. This past weekend, some clearly highly skilled divers were recorded via drone doing some spectacular jumps into the Mamquam River's pristine waters. This is not a story of tragedy, even though there is a memorial here for 18-year-old Daniel Resmer, who drowned here five years ago. No one drowned here this past weekend or even got hurt, and that's the message organizers want to get out. Squamish is famous for adrenaline-fueled sports, but those sports have to be given the respect they deserve. Everything we do here should be treated like a, a driver's license or base jumping. You can't jump out of a plane alone until you get the hours. Social media is rife with examples of people taking extraordinary risks for that all unimportant selfie. Now Mamquam Falls is on the thrill seekers' radar, leading to some sage advice for any novice thinking that, hey, this might be fun. People see these YouTube videos and, and you see just the spectacular part. One has to be responsible for themselves when they go to these different areas, just like any other activity, and research it and, and get the proper training. Extreme adventure is inevitable here, but there's a better, safer way of doing it here. You can see the kayaker standing by in case one of the divers gets into trouble. Organizers spent weeks monitoring the water levels. And happily, there is nothing tragic to report. And in this, the self-declared outdoor recreational capital of Canada, that's just the way they want it. Ted Schoenecke, Global News, near Squamish. Some more uncertainty tonight surrounding the future of the Aeroplan program after a group, including Air Canada, bought it for almost half a billion dollars. Our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrew, is here with the details. And yeah, it's an interesting development, and this is still an agreement in principle. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that, Chris. Air Canada announcing today that it's buying back into the Aeroplan program after selling it off more than a decade ago. A consortium headed by the airline has reached a deal to pay the current owner of Aeroplan $450 million and assume the liability of $1.9 billion worth of unused Aeroplan points. Air Canada will absorb all Aeroplan members into its new, as yet unnamed, loyalty program. Experts say buying Aeroplan is easier for Air Canada than starting a new program program from scratch. It's all about ownership of data. Data is, is the new oil, basically. It would have been a lot more resource intensive 
and there's always a ramping up time to scale it up to a level which they already have in terms of market penetration. Also still unclear tonight, the fate of recent agreements between Aeroplan and Air Transit, Flair Airlines and Porter Airlines. But Air Canada is assuring travellers the agreement should produce the best outcome for Aeroplan members. The deal is still subject to the approval of the shareholders of the current Aeroplan owner. Right now, there are no immediate changes to Aeroplan miles, so it's business as usual. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Ann. And one more consumer note that's uh, related to air travel, and it's a travel warning. We'll bring in meteorologist Yvonne Schell for the details. And Yvonne, Canadians being told to avoid all non-essential travel to some parts of Hawaii because of an approaching hurricane. Yes, if you're heading to the Big Island or potentially have plans to go to Maui, this is why hurricane watches have been issued. We can look at the current satellite and we can see Hurricane Lane right now is a Category 4 with the winds up to 250 kilometres per hour. It's moving at a northwesterly direction at 16 kilometres per hour and the potential track of the storm will affect travellers later in the week and leading in towards the weekend where it could brush or make landfall by Thursday or Friday before it starts to dissipate and weaken. So if you are making any traveling plans, you're advised uh, no, uh, avoid non-essential travel and that's to Maui and the Big Island and people with traveling plans are advised to check with their local airlines. Chris? Alright, thanks for the update on that storm. Yvonne, we'll check in a little bit later for weather around here. Right now though, a Chinese-Canadian World War I veteran who died in France is getting a special memorial named after him. An announcement today at the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Garden that a major donation will help build the Frederick Lee Walkway in France. Lee was born in Kamloops but died in combat 101 years ago today after fighting in two pivotal battles, Vimy Ridge and the largely forgotten Hill 70. Philanthropist Robert H. N. Ho is donating a million and a half dollars to help build the Frederick Lee Walkway at the Hill 70 Memorial. It's really unbelievable how these people can dig that far back in time and come up with the information that they have. And this, this brings him right into my life now. Freddie Lee's remains have never been found, but a number of people are on a mission to find them and ensure Lee is remembered as one of the first Chinese Canadians to volunteer to fight in the First World War. Some scary video now of an explosion tearing through a coffee shop in southern Georgia. Three people were sent to hospital with serious injuries. Officials say a construction crew struck a nearby natural gas line. The workers capped the line, but some gas had already leaked through the sewer system and into the shop where it ignited. Some turmoil at the White House tonight as two former members of the president's inner circle made headlines today. Trump's former personal attorney... Michael Cohen pleading guilty to a number of federal charges, including paying hush money to porn star Stormy Daniels to keep her story secret during the election campaign. The man who used to fix Donald Trump's problems has now become one for the president. Michael Cohen implicating his former boss after pleading guilty to eight felony charges of tax fraud, bank fraud, and notably campaign finance violations, paying out hush money, telling a judge he broke the law because a candidate told him to. He doesn't name the person, but he only worked for one, Donald Trump. He worked to pay money to silence two women who had information 
that he believed would be detrimental to the 2016 campaign and to the candidate and the campaign. That includes a $130,000 payment Cohen made just days before the election to porn star Stormy Daniels to keep her quiet about an alleged affair with the president, which she denies. Michael Avenatti represents Daniels. She feels very vindicated. Uh, she believes that she has fought the good fight and she's going to continue to fight the good fight. The president has said he didn't know about the payment at the time. Did you know about The president's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, tells NBC News late tonight there is no allegation of any wrongdoing against the president in the government's charges against Mr. Cohen. It is clear that, as the prosecutor noted, Mr. Cohen's actions reflect a pattern of lies and dishonesty over a significant period of time. The president himself has suggested he's not concerned with what Cohen might say. Just want to know if you're worried if he's going to cooperate with federal No, I'm not worried because I did nothing wrong. Got it. Nothing wrong. Cohen will not have to go to trial, but faces three and a half to five years in prison. He'll be sentenced in December. He can go to jail for a number of years, and so he still has an incentive to help the government. But if he wants to avoid jail, the more information, the more truthful information he provides, the better off he will be. Now, at virtually the same time that was playing out, Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, was convicted of fraud relating to tax evasion, hidden income, and his lavish lifestyle. The jury found Paul Manafort guilty of intentionally dodging taxes on millions of dollars that he earned as a political consultant for the former president of Ukraine well before Manafort served briefly as President Trump's campaign chairman. Prosecutors said he stashed the money in overseas banks and used it to indulge his expensive tastes in clothes, antiques, and cars by wiring money directly from those accounts to pay his bills, bypassing tax collectors from the IRS. From 2010 through 2014, prosecutors said Manafort earned more than $30 million but reported less than half of it as income. When the Ukrainian money dried up, prosecutors said Manafort lied in applying for more than $20 million in loans from three banks to maintain his lavish spending habits. The jury convicted him of two of those bank fraud counts. In all, Manafort faced 18 criminal counts. The jury convicted him on eight of them, but could not agree on the other 10. Of those, the judge declared a mistrial, leaving the prosecutors free to charge him with them all over again, though tonight that seems unlikely. The prosecution will be happy that the eight counts of conviction were spread out among each of the different tranches of things that he was accused of. So the prosecution will be able to argue at sentencing that the judge should consider everything. The conviction is a boost for Robert Mueller. Manafort was the first person he charged after becoming special counsel, presumably to force Manafort's cooperation in the Russian meddling investigation. Manafort's lawyers spoke only briefly, thanking the judge and jury for what they said was a fair trial. Mr. Manafort is disappointed of not getting acquittals all the way through or a complete hung jury on all counts. He is evaluating all of his options at this point. More raw emotion on the Korean Peninsula today as dozens of families separated by the Korean War nearly 70 years ago are reunited. <laughs> 90 families crossed the demilitarized zone from South Korea for their first contact with family members living in the north. 90 more families will cross over later this week. More than 57,000 families registered for the chance to see their long-lost loved ones the reunions a result of better diplomatic relations between North and South Korea. An alleged gang of computer thieves is now in a California jail. 
Caught on surveillance video, the thieves storm into an Apple store in an L.A. suburb, grabbing laptops and tablets. Police believe the same group had hit another store, but this time customers tackled two of them, and police caught the rest as they tried to get away. Investigators say this group has been hitting Apple stores for weeks. In health matters tonight, another plea to British Columbians to register as organ donors. As Linda Aylesworth reports, it comes from an athlete who needs a third liver transplant to save her life. Okay, hold on, I gotta get a picture out. Photographs record the things we want to remember and the experiences we can't forget. This is the moment that I woke up out of a coma after my first transplant. I was 14 years old and I collapsed on a Saturday and on the Monday I was in a coma. I had less than 12 hours to live. Shelby needed a liver transplant, which miraculously she got in time. 13 years later, that liver failed and she underwent a second transplant. We first met Shelby at the Transplant Olympics last month, where she swam her way to four medals, even though she was feeling under the weather. I also noticed at the end of the day, just little things like her pulling herself out of the pool, you could tell she was pushing herself really hard. Recently, the reason became apparent. I'm in late-stage chronic rejection. It's a rare type of rejection that only happens in about 1% of all liver transplants, and it's happening quite rapidly. See how skinny I got in that one? Well, yeah, you were having a transplant. Now Shelby requires a third transplant. To help her with the many expenses not covered by health care, her friend has set up a fundraiser site. Really want Shelby to be comfortable and not have to stress about finances and just focus on her health and get through this next medical hurdle that she has to go through. Now the wait begins, not just for Shelby, but for the many others in need of transplants. BC has the highest organ donor rate in the country, even so, we have got a waiting list of probably about 600 in the province and all, all of the organ groups. Um, and unfortunately, we have about 20 people a year who die waiting for an organ. It takes two minutes to register. Get your cell phone, get your care card, get in there and just, just register your wishes and, and then have that conversation with your family. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Easy to do and let's hope we have some good news to report very soon. Well, humans are not the only ones feeling the health effects of the wildfire smoke. Breathe. 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 Good girl. The Seattle Aquarium believes this one-year-old otter is having difficulty breathing because of the haze that's hovering over Seattle. Mishka has been diagnosed with asthma, believed to be the first case in sea otters. And now she's learning how to use an inhaler just like humans. They say she's very intelligent and doing very well. We've got some more breaking news for you and new video proving just how dry it is out there. Vancouver firefighters knocking down a fire in East Van this afternoon. This was the scene at Copley and Nanaimo streets late today. Firefighters tackling a big hedge fire at Garden Drive and East 19th. Three structures and two cars also caught fire. Fortunately, no houses were lost and no one was hurt. Firefighters told witnesses at the scene of this one that the fire was likely sparked by a discarded cigarette. The fire chief tweeting that the incredible heat from the burning hedges gave a taste of what is happening all over B.C. So please, a warning again, folks, take care when you discard of smoking material. 
Right now, a backyard gardener is showing off some monster zucchinis that just might be the biggest in Burnaby, if not the whole province. Reporter Paul Johnson visited the Magic Garden today to find the grower's secret of success. What a cornucopia Franco Marcharana has ripening in the front yard of his Burnaby home. Everybody loves it, my God. <laughs> and who wouldn't? Between the tomatoes, figs, and hard-to-grow eggplant, Franco's dinner table is about to overflow with fresh food. But of all the things he's been cultivating, it's that junior member of the squash family that's getting all the attention. I'm trying a couple of years. I make a smaller one, now I make a bigger one. That may actually be quite the understatement. Those long, pendulous things dangling from his trellis are actually gigantic zucchinis. Last year, he actually produced a seven-footer. This year, he's got several that are already north of five feet and still growing. Every day I see the zucchini longer, longer, start to grow, grow. The seeds, like Franco, come from Sicily. And so does the special way he fertilizes his plants, manipulating their flowers in a technique he calls kissing. Let me kiss each other. With the word getting out about Franco's exceptional garden, he's deluged with requests about how to do it. What time do you want to come? While he's hesitant to give away plants or seeds, he's happy to share the zucchinis and the best way to cook them. Boil the small ones, add salt and pepper, some olive oil, and bon appetit. Oh, it's incredible how beautiful in the mouth. You can bet it is. Paul Johnson, Global News. Looks so good. A little girl now waiting for a transplant has the best birthday ever. Well, I'm in the Lloyd Children's Hospital, and look who came to surprise me. The Canadian artist who gave her the thrill of a lifetime right after the forecast. We'll check in right now with Yvonne Shell in for Christy down at the PNE and a nice warm afternoon to be down there, Yvonne. Yes, it's very warm down here. We're located at Festival Park and we've got a mural and an artist to talk about in just a moment. But let's get to the temperatures and the heat and of course the smoke, which is the big weather story for us across the south coast. Today it was thick once again and adding to it, temperatures were heating up. Temperatures right now sitting at 25 and our high today was up to 27 degrees. That's if you were by the water. Areas away from the water today, closer to 30. And we've got an unofficial record-breaking temperature or new record high for Whistler today, getting up to 30. 33 degrees. The old record was set back in 2006 with 32.5. A few other numbers across the province and the south coast. So with Whistler, record breaking unofficially. Inland today for Port Alberni up to 35 degrees and interior sections for areas near trail up to 31 underneath the smoke. Here's a look at the satellite image that's taken from NASA and we can see it's still very thick across the south coast with the outflow winds today and in towards the interior sections. There is a break and I'll talk more about that in just a moment. Air quality advisory swathed right across the province or blanketing the province. We've had these outflow winds but a shift will start to transition tomorrow and Thursday, Friday with the westerly flow, it'll start to clear out and freshen the air for us across the south coast And but there is some instability with the system that is dropping down from the north and pushing in towards the southern interior with Thursday, Friday, a chance of showers and even the risk of a thunderstorm. Coastal sections tomorrow for the northern half of the province tracking some rain. 
Uh, northeastern corners, we'll see that instability with the risk of thunderstorms. We've got smoke and widespread still across the central and southern interior across the province. As we take a look at the southern half or the south coast, sorry, it jumped ahead. We're still seeing the smoke for one more day tomorrow. And then it's Thursday, Friday, anticipated to be fresher and cooler for us. And even a chance of showers could start to push in for both our Saturday and Sunday. All right, at the PE, we're located at the Festival Park. And I'm joined by RC. You're one of the artists that's here. Um, the Pacific Coliseum is celebrating their 50 years. And as a way to do so, you're doing every day, the 15 days of the PE, you're featuring a different mural. So tell us a little bit about the inspiration that you're taking or doing here. Yeah, so I mean, everything's going to really scream PE. You know, we, we've got, um, you know, my Rolling Stones piece right here that I finished today. Um, did Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison the last couple of days. And I've got a lot to come, including super dogs and figure skating and uh, ice hockey. So it's going to be fun. And you're set up here at the p and &E. How long do you typically take or what's the process like? And people who want to come down and check it out, uh, what can they do? Yeah, so, um, well, first of all, it's 100% spray paint. So I work straight through and I average about six hours a day. Wow. So people can come here in the morning, see a white wall, and then, you know, come by at the end and see it, you know, full color. So... Very cool. Six hours throughout the day. You can join RC. So, again, we're at the Festival Park. Uh, come on down. Thank you so much for your time. This looks fantastic. Looking forward to seeing the Super Dogs and all the other ones that you'll be painting throughout the PE. All right, back to you, Chris. What an amazing talent. All right, thanks very much, Yvonne. Look forward to seeing that when we get down there. Uh, Canadian artist Drake made a Chicago girl's wish come true. Oh, my God! <laughs> you asked me to come, I'm here. How's that for a reaction? The rapper dropped in on 11-year-old Sofia Sanchez after she asked him to visit her for her birthday. Sofia is awaiting a heart transplant. The two joked, they sang a little, traded autographs, and of course, took a lot of selfies. Drake was able to do it because apparently he canceled one of his concerts in the Chicago area to be able to go and visit her. Nice. Nice guy. Here is Squire, our own sports superstar. Thank you very much. I know you hate that. You would hate being called that, but you are. Well, I mean, I don't hate it, but I just feel it's a little over the top, just so you know. The whole region ready to cheer on the Canadian boys at the Little League World Championship and nothing. Well, they didn't lose. That's mm -hmm. the good thing. But the only thing that did happen today at the Little League World Series was rain. So the boys from Wally, who, of course, are repping Canada, never got to start their game against Puerto Rico. They're going to try to get it in tomorrow at noon our time. Wally must win to stay in this tournament a loss, and they are out. Well, the good news for the BC Lions is this week they're playing at home, where they haven't lost this year. The bad news is they're playing the first team to beat Calgary this season, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. As we said, the Lions, perfect in their own house, but they have lost all five of their road games, which makes this contest against Saskatchewan, who's just ahead of them in the standings, a wee bit crucial. And it's Arsenal who's going to have to flip that or kick it. And he does. He tries to. And this game is over. Last Saturday in Toronto, the BC Lions lost another game they should have won. They did it by taking as many penalties in the second half as they scored points. They had six penalties and scored six points. You know, offensively, I think in the second half, we had, you know, six mistakes uh, that, uh, you know, uh, kill your drives. Uh, you know, against anybody, uh, you can't be in second and 15s or first and 20s uh, and expect to get first down. It's just trying to put a complete game together, 60 minutes. You know, we either come out slow and finish strong or start fast and finish slow. So, you know, whatever we got to do, we had to figure it out fast, and hopefully uh, we do that this week.
It seems strange that sandwiched between road losses was a big win at home against Edmonton, which is a better team than Toronto. It can't just be BC Place that helped the Lions win that game. We made the we made the fourth quarter plays. That was a difference. Uh, we've had, yeah, I mean, obviously two losses in, in Ottawa and in Toronto where we had great opportunities to win the game uh, right up until the very end. You know, we had fourth quarter leads uh, in both those football games. So it's not a matter of, you know, just playing terrible. It's just a matter of not making the plays in critical moments. When you look at it, uh, you know, 40% of your drives are self-inflicted, uh, you know, a disaster. And, uh, you know, when you play any football team, uh, you know, you got to have those drives to give you an option to score. So, you know, I mean, you can talk about it. You can talk about it. You know, at the end of the day, you know, uh, players have to deal with it and, or, player, or coaches have to make changes. So after last season, the Lions allowed linebacker Micah Awe a chance to sign and play with the New York Jets. The Jets did sign him, then they dropped him shortly after the NFL draft. So he took a, draw, a job driving for Uber and delivering packages for Amazon until he was signed with the BC Lions again. He was at practice today, and despite having a couple of chances at the NFL, he knows coming back to Canada doesn't mean things are going to get easier on the football field. He learned that in 2017. He missed out with Tampa in 2017, joined the Lions, and realized what the CFL is all about. I was telling my girlfriend the other day, I, I did the whole preseason of NFL with Tampa Bay, and then we had Calgary for the first preseason game, and I was running down on down there on kickoff I just got smacked I was like that that first kickoff told me the CFL is more physical than NFL and I know no one no one would say that or believe me but I'm telling you as being known as a physical player I knew right then I had to like step my physicalness to another level so the CFL is not something to play with you know go ask Johnny Menzel I watched all that you go ask all the Division One football players who try to come to CFL and play right away that aren't playing. It's The proof is in the pudding. So um, it's not something you can just play around with. So I have to really focus and see where I'm at and make sure I'm ready to come with it. One day after getting cut by Seattle, punter John Ryan of Regina is going to sign a one-year deal with the Buffalo Bills. In Buffalo, he can join his old pal from the Seahawks, Stephen Hauschka, who kicks field goals. So good to see John Ryan getting a team picking him up should mention uh, you heard uh, Micah Alway mention Johnny Manziel you yep. saw the hit he took against mm-hmm. Ottawa so he missed last week's game because he was in concussion protocol he's still in concussion protocol so they're not sure if he'll be able to play Friday against the Argos yeah <laughs> probably shouldn't have played the rest of I that game still we'll be talking know, about that for I a while. still don't know why he was allowed to play the rest of that game yeah I mean he looked alert I guess and that was their thing well he was alert but Taking that kind of a hit? We've got entertainment from the 12th century. (laughs) How about jousting? Which is entertainment from the 12th century, or the 11th, or 13th, or 14th. Well, the Middle Ages. Perhaps the Dark Ages as well. One of those ages. Anyway, they do have it out at the P&E. There's um, Knights of Valor is a group that uh, travels around to Renaissance festivals and fairs like the P&E. So let's check out jousting. This is, of course, the most dangerous, most extreme equestrian sport in the world. Let's call it the Middle Ages for All Ages show. Jousting, a sport right out of the 13th century, has been packing them in at the Agrodome three times a day during the PE. And its star is current world champion Charlie Andrews. 
a pro jouster who does MMA fighting on the side. MMA will physically abuse you. MMA takes special individuals to do it. But no matter how hard you get hit or kicked, you will not get hit as hard as you will in a jousting event where you're going 30 miles an hour to an abrupt stop. And then you gravity takes over and you slam into the ground from six feet up with an extra 130 pounds of armor. That takes an even rarer breed. The Knights of Valor show started by this man, Shane Adams, also features such things as cutting watermelons with swords off people's heads, which can also be a bit painful. Those who do this tell you that jousting isn't just grabbing a lance, mounting a horse and charging. There's a technique. You come in, you lock it in, good technique. You come here square and then you let them run into it. If you try to punch, you'll break your hand. If you try to punch, you'll go a little bit off target. But technique will not mean a thing if your horse is not as much of a warrior as you are. 90% is horse and 10% is whether or not you suck. But I wouldn't want to be on just anything if I'm going against somebody really good and they're on their horse. They're on a really solid horse. It's probably not going to go too well for me. See, there's wow. a point scoring there. If you break the lance, I think you get more points. Actually, there's a you, bonus there. Yeah, you got to aim for that little plate they put on the guy. I don't know if Yvonne Shell has checked into that or not. She's down at the PNE right now. Have you seen the jousting yet? Not, not yet. I'm just across from there, but I'm definitely going to check it out at some point during the fair. If you're planning on heading down here tomorrow, it's going to be another warm one and smoky one, a break on our Thursday, Friday. Guys? All right, thanks very much, Yvonne. Enjoy the food down there. Would you joust? or eat the cricket-covered caramel apple? Oh, that's a tough call. i try the apple. Why don't you sleep on it? We'll get back. I will. All right, thanks for watching. Have a great night, folks.